to the first episode of Part-Time Cool Girl. I'm Lily, and I'm the host. So, I'm starting out my own podcast. Wow. Um, well, I might be a little awkward this this episode, because, can I be honest? I'm only part-time cool. I'm not fully cool. That's legit where the name of the podcast comes from. But the whole premise of this podcast is just talking about things that I find interesting this week. whatever week that I film it so not film record nice um but I just talk about random stuff and it might be the same one week it might not be the same the next week it's just talking about things I find interesting because I feel like a lot of the time when you're trying to listen to a podcast a lot of things that I've heard from um, my friends or other people is that a lot of podcasts are just focused on one thing and they can't like grasp onto that they want a lot of range so a lot of people do listen to like a true crime but there's nothing else to it it's just true crime there's a lot of fun true crime true crime true crime podcasts out there don't get me wrong but it's just fun when it for people with a short attention span like me (laughs) it's really fun when people like pivot to a lot of different stories or a lot of different elements which is why i really like when hosts have like fun on their podcasts like um a lot of podcasts like nothing rhymes with murder really like grab onto your attention because they have a lot of like banter jokes as well as a topic so i'm trying to create this episode or podcast sorry where you just listen to whatever and learn a little bit maybe expand your tastes i guess i don't have great taste but you can learn and you can see what you like so that's what i'm trying to do and you can listen to this while you're running while you're just doing homework think of me as like ambiance or like motivation because i sound annoying today in today's episode i'm going to start out with talking about falcon and the winter soldier which is the new marvel disney plus show and then i'm going to talk about some music or some artists that i've been listening to quite often and um greek mythology because what where what a great topic to start i think every like 14 year old in like middle school had like a greek mythology obsession at some point and if you didn't were you did you even live like i'm sorry anyway this week i'll tell you what i've been eating as a snack which is not healthy by the way i've been having like iced coffee from starbucks the one you can get in like a supermarket or whatever like it's actually taking over my life i think um there's one just sitting in the kitchen that my mom put out because my mom hates it when we have cold anything so i mean and it's iced coffee and it's not cold i know what you're thinking and then digestive biscuits with a chocolate on them i feel like once you're like a little like exposed to like british culture the first thing you in like you start to adopt into your life is digestive biscuits i go to a british school i've gone to i've had british teachers my whole life so i think a lot of the times when teachers would like hand out snacks or like prizes they just give out digestive biscuits and it got to the point where in my lunchbox every day the one that i took to school i had like spongebob chocolate covered biscuits from dige- like digestive like the company the brand which was surreal i love those biscuits i don't know if they still produce them or not but they were great if you have if you find those 
like hoard them like keep them like sleep next to them put them under your pillow i love those biscuits like i'm not even gonna lie so starting out with the first topic starting strong is the falcon and the winter soldier now this is marvel's second disney plus show the first disney plus show was um released back in january 15 16 not really sure but that was WandaVision, which had a banger soundtrack. Let me, let me, a moment of silence for that soundtrack, because that was great. I loved that show. I felt like it was such a different take on Marvel and how, um, like, I mean, Marvel's always, Marvel's always been very, like, you can see, like, there's, like, a theme to it, right? But it's, it's never been, like, that serious or that, like, it's a fresh take, and I really appreciate that. Um, it felt really nice to see how Wanda deals with her grief and her emotions. I feel like that was well handled. Although, grief and, like, emotions have not been well handled like that in Marvel in the past. Like, for Thor or with, like, uh, Star-Lord even. Like, it was not- it wasn't really well handled how they got over the death of, like, people they loved, um, their families and, like, their people in their homes. Um, I don't think that was well handled in the past. I feel like it was very much like made into a comedy, uh, Thor more than Star-Lord. Um, what I mean by Star-Lord is like the part where he punches Thanos, Th Thanos, Thanos in um, Infinity War. I feel like that was, it was just used as like a plot furthering device. But the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is also so sort of like a newer, um, more grounded approach to superheroes um which i like i like the i like the boys um which is like an amazon tv show maybe we'll talk about that another day but the boys is really nice um it's it's really gruesome it's really different you don't really see all that optimistic stuff that <laughs> the falcon and the winter soldier still display it's um it's very very cynical and very like heavy i guess and considering like um spoilers for the second season um also spoilers for this whole falcon and the winter soldier segment for the first two episodes if you haven't watched it don't listen to this segment um the boys is different in a way that they in the second season we have a senator i'm not sure what her name was but senator newman is it or is that from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? There's so much overlap here, by the way. Um, in The Boys, there's a senator who um, is strongly opposed to superheroes and how much freedom they're given by and the company that runs them, which is called Vought. And at the end, we figure out, spoiler warning, <laughs> again, in case you didn't like skip ahead, um, we, did, we find out in the end that... Um, the senator is actually the person who's been committing a lot of the crimes that we're be we've been struggling with for the entirety of the season. Um, and she is obviously modeled after um, Representative AOC. So it's very like it's very rooted into the real world in in the way like it's not actually rooted in the real world but you get it like there's a lot of like stuff you see and stuff you understand and it's really. I really like that show, um, and so does President, Ob former President Obama. So the Falcon and the Winter Soldier came out on March nineteenth, and so far we've had two episodes only. It comes out on Saturday my time, but it comes out on Friday, 
in the US. So I don't have Disney Plus by the way. I think the, the closest thing we have to Disney Plus on this side of the planet is called OSN, which is really cool. Like they have the Mandalorian on there as well. Also a really good show. I'm I'm really I'm really impressed by the fact that Disney Plus has made such great shows. Like I'm really stumped by this. Um but the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is directed by Carrie Scoglin. She's a Canadian director and she's directed, I believe, uh, one or two, I don't know how many, but she's directed um, episode episodes of The Vikings, which is another really good show. I've, I've only watched a few episodes of The Vikings, but I really, I really enjoyed it. I don't, <laughs> I'm not really into that sort of historical tv show uh you could say i'm a big fan of horrible histories um uh, moving on and it was made by malcolm spellman he also produced empire which is a great show um and the next episode which is episode three is written by derek kolstad who is the creator of the john wick franchise which is also a really good franchise so all together really good like people writing it and directing it um it's really nice to see like less well-known directors and also female directors directing these sort of things i feel like um the writer for wandavision was also a woman um she really she really put in a lot of emotion and a lot of thought into obviously she's a writer but like it was it was really profound in a way that you wouldn't expect for like a marvel movie to be and so is malcolm Spell spellman's creation it's so far we've only had two episodes but we've had a lot of like things we've like witnessed and it's really really it's also really profound um according to marvel and uh spellman himself it's uh it's about race and identity which yeah we've seen a lot of <laughs> even in these two episodes and the budget for each episode is reportedly 25 million oh that is a lot but you can see it you can see it because it's filmed so well it's filmed so beautifully and you actually enjoy it it's it's beautiful um, so we pick up six months after Endgame. Um, it's after the effects of the blip. The blip has been going on for five months. Five months. Five years, I mean. And this is right after Captain America or Steve Rogers gives his shield to Sam. And Bucky is apparently forgiven for all the crimes he's done. And he's having uh, court-mandated therapy, which is really nice to see. I think a lot of fans really wanted uh, Bucky to sort of have that therapy to have a, a, a more time to acknowledge the fact that he he went through a lot and that was really nice to see which is why everyone is angry um at what happened in episode two which i'll get to in a second so spellman himself said that the series is like a nice progression from themes of racial identity that were presented in marvel studios black panther which was released back in 2018 um and he hopes that the series would have a positive impact on black youth like that film did i can uh black panther was really great um it was one of um the first movies that marvel really stepped out with um 
it was beautiful and it was so well written and it was so well directed and all of that and it, it, it came after i believe one of the executives of disney um or i mean marvel was changed up and kevin feige took his place that old executive was not it he was not he was not the t um he was he was racist and misogynist and all the things that you don't want to see which is a really good and a really welcome change um i feel like kevin feige is definitely taking marvel in the right direction i feel like i really appreciate how much um he's brought a little bit of diversity into marvel which is really nice um like he's brought in characters like kamala khan which i have on my wall she is one of my favorite characters because she is one of the characters that i probably am closest to although she is not me exactly but i relate to her i understand what struggles she goes through and i'm really excited to have like her show on disney plus so having these types of series and these types of film that talk about mental health and racism and like how the issues with it is is super important especially with such big franchises like marvel it really puts out the word and um i take psychology (laughs) i do a psychology college course and one of the topics we studied was how you can promote health and i know this has nothing to do with falcon and the winter soldier but i believe it was a study by serafino in 2006 that stated that um getting more information to patients about several stuff like illnesses and that sort of stuff like smoking or like diabetes and obesity um there are three different uh things that really spread the word it's the internet the doctor and the doctor and um like tv and social media so i feel like where the winter the falcon and the winter soldier falls is a really great place because it is some of the most used and most influential sort of platforms that can get more children or more young people educated on what it actually is which is really really nice although i'm not going to deny that so sebastian stan who plays bucky barnes explained that barnes feels protective of steve rogers legacy and he wants sam to become captain america because it was steve's choice and he has doubts about why wilson hasn't taken not because Wilson hasn't taken it. He th- he feels like Steve was wrong about uh, Sam. Then he was probably wrong about Bucky. And that is a big conflict for him. He's not... He's not having a, like a, a jolly good time. He says that in his therapy session when they're talking to each other. Throughout these two episodes, it's become very obvious that when Bucky is fighting... Like super soldiers, he is much weaker, and I feel like a lot of people were debating what, why that is. They were they um a lot of people were chalking it up to like bad writing, which I don't agree with. I think the writing is terrific. I feel like Bucky has is holding back, cause when you see him when he's um the Winter Soldier, he's doing pretty well, but when he's when he's fighting um as himself as Bucky he's not really 
stepping out of his comfort zone, which is, I think, I feel like he's scared of becoming a killer again. Um, and you can see that when he talks to Isaiah. Isaiah is a super soldier who not a lot of, well, no one knows about. So a lot of issues were, um, exp- like, there was a lot of things that happened to him. He got experimented on as far as that, like, that was what was hinted in the episode. And Sam is v- very upset by this. And um, Isaiah tells Bucky that he will never stop being a killer, which I feel like, Bucky really took that to heart. He, you could see it in his face or Sebastian Stan's face. Really good acting. So I feel like Bucky really is scared of becoming a killer again. And then on the other hand, we have Sam, who's really who's struggling, uh, with what we, what he has. He's been taking up government contracts to sort of keep his family business afloat, which um is like, and support his sister and her two children. They have a boat um, that was owned by their parents, or I mean Sam's parents, um, and their sis, her sister, not their sister. Oh my God, am I okay? Uh, Sam's sister is um, considering selling that boat to sort of support their family and have a little bit of renovations done on the house. Um, Sam was blipped out his sister wasn't so what happens is that Sam tries to go and get a loan from a bank but it turns out that they can't give him a loan things tighten up in the words of the banker and the banker is really really he can't read the room It, it was so awkward as someone who experiences a lot of secondhand anxiety um like from other people or like stress or just like awkwardness um it was so weird when he asked for that selfie i was about i was going to melt i was gonna melt it's obvious that sam is having a tough time trying to like accept that he gave up that shield even though maybe he didn't want to but i guess um sam did give up the shield i feel like he didn't expect the shield to be taken up taken up by someone else, which we'll get to in a second. But he sort of I guess that hurt him more that some that another person would take his place so soon after. At the end of the first episode we find out that there's a new Steve Rogers. Um he's his name is John Walker. Now John Walker is white. <laughs> And the funny thing is that the actor who plays John Walker actually auditioned to become Steve Rogers back when they were casting. And eventually uh, Chris Evans got casted, but that was a really funny um, way. Like, I I felt that really interesting. I felt like that was an interesting move from the casting directors in Marvel. So Walker has a biracial wife and he has a black like friend who becomes his sidekick. Um, he's Battlestar, and Battlestar is honestly so cool. I loved his personality. I love what he's, like, his character. Uh, He's so interesting. Also, on the other other hand, we have Torres, who is, like, Sam's special ops friend. Um, he goes with him on government, um, contracts that he's signed on, and he is so interesting. He gets beat up in the first episode, and 
honestly he is just like he's like a golden retriever sort of energy it's so fun um and it's great i great character uh i just <laughs> i is this becoming a case of lily taking the side of the side characters rather than the main characters yes uh i'm always it's always the side characters for lily right um like loki there was like legitimately in avengers there's so many different like members of the avengers you could be like i don't know hawk well not hawkeye hawkeye is like a terrible representation of what the comics showed of hawkeye but having like like there's iron man and there's captain america and i i could only focus on dr banner and like loki they were the most interesting ones i'm sorry it had to be said um but a lot of people were trying to say that they're trying to make walker likable i don't think they're trying to make him likable i think they're just trying to make him you know when you have i don't know how to explain this but like you know when you have like um a forced liking like you're trying to say oh my god like we like this person but you don't actually they're not trying to make us like him i think they're trying to f um they're trying to force it that he's trying to be a good person not they're trying not that they're trying to force it on us they're just trying to like portray it um and in a in like in a sinister way i guess um <laughs> i have a lot of suspicion about walk walker um i have i feel like i have like a sneaky suspicion that walker is actually like uh an operative for the flag smashers or something or like a hydra person and i know we've been through this hydra thing uh with captain america civil war i think but still i have a lot of sneaky suspicions about walker um but other than that i i would prefer i i prefer battlestar over walker is his name even battlestar wait let me check i feel like i'm not it's not his name and i'm just it is battlestar i i really panicked over nothing but i guess he's gonna be an interesting character i don't think he's gonna be a likable character but i think he's sort of like a sinister um good guy thing and it's it's getting on my nerves um i can't wait till saturday and it's sort of running all over my mind um we also have um zemo come back which is really interesting i felt like zemo was one of the better um like normal person villains we had like people like hella and loki but zemo is like perfectly normal he's just seeking revenge and it's like every other villain but he's just i felt like he was really interesting and i'm glad to see he's back uh i love daniel Brohl. i think he's like a great actor i probably butchered his name but that's for another <laughs> i really need to learn how to pronounce that his name if i'm going to be talking about this again um but uh, like i just i feel i feel like that's really interesting we only got to meet um the flag smashers and their um leader um and it's really interesting the flag smashers are actually trying to bring the world back to how it was before the re-blipping of everyone back so they want to take it back to the five years where half the population of the earth was gone because they felt like a lot of people got that 
um, support that they didn't have before the blip, which is a really interesting. Um, Zemo and the Flag Smashers both believe they're right in in a way. That's that's, I guess that's up for debate. But Skogland, the director, says that there's like a lot of hard to talk about issues in the series, um, like patriotism and extremism, and um, she specifically said, quote. Who is an American and who gets to decide what principles the country stands for, what compels people to take extreme actions in the name of what they believe is patriotism? Which is really interesting because where does the line between patriotism and extremism lie? Um, I believe Sebastian Sand himself said that the events that happen in the series coincidentally are really similar to what happens in um what happened in the the capital um was it the storming of the capital i feel like that's really interesting to see because the people that stormed the capital they were not patriotic that was not something patriotic but they believed they were being patriotic and so do the flag smashers and zemo so does john walker <laughs> so does steve rogers but where does that who interprets what is what right is there really is there really is wrong and right really like just black and white or is there like a gray middle ground i i don't know that's a lot of philosophical talk for another day but the director scoglin also uh, noted that captain america is used to explore a lot of controversial ideas in his first comic in 1941 He's seen punching Adolf Hitler, which is really interesting. I feel like I, I really appreciate the fact that we're using um, Captain America to his full purpose right now. Like the purpose that he was created for. And the the show's creator, Spellman, also made like a connection between how the blip and COVID are quite similar. Which is really, really interesting, but also really different. Because I feel like the blip... You, you didn't have half the people so a lot of people got support while in covid a lot of people didn't get support which is really really sad to see i feel like the the minority like the richer minority got more help than the poor majority of the world which is which is sad to see um a lot of the things that we have um for example like vaccine distribution are not um they're not created for poorer nations um i believe there was like a map that showed like how um how different nations were going to be receiving the vaccine which um showed like countries in uh with poor economies having to get it in like two to three years which is crazy to think about um i have the incredible privilege of being vaccinated I got the Sinopharm vaccine and I think there's a lot of like issues with how that distribution is being held in other countries not the country which I'm residing in but the country where I'm from I feel like there is a lot of issues because it recently came out that one of the vaccines would be sold for 80 million in that country's currency in the country's currency um, which is a lot you can literally buy like a piece of land with that sort of money so obviously poor people won't be able to access the vaccine until much later in the year um and only rich people can like speed up the process and get it which is 
it's not equal distribution. I feel like the vaccine should be available to doctors and people that are vulnerable first rather than be given to the rich, <laughs> which is sad. And also um, testing. Testing is so, so important in COVID. But on the, uh, on the, on the same side of things, um, a lot of testing is really expensive and not very widely available to everyone of different classes and different like, not classes, but different economic status, which is so, so sad. Uh, I believe one of my teachers said that um, going to England or back, like traveling for work from England um, or to England is quite expensive, especially if you go from like a country on the red list. It costs you about 3000 of my currency or like, wait, I don't actually know, but 3000 in my currency, which is about like, I'd say like $150 a night to stay in a like a hotel for quarantine for 14 days which is crazy that's like what like 10,000 <laughs> in my currency which is like a lot that's not something that a lot of people can afford um obviously i don't know what it is in dollars but that's crazy on like a closing note spellman also pointed out that the blip or the pandemic are events that could divide or unite humanity in both worlds um and that every episode is defined by this push and pull you have moments where you have people uniting and then dividing for example in episode two we have a moment where bucky barnes sam wilson um john walker and his friend or Battlestar all team up um and they fight but then by the end of the episode we john walker threatens sam and bucky tells them to go to hell or whatever don't stand in his way that's what he says so it's really fun to see how it unites or divides people who are perceived to be good people the flag smashers are actually anarchists and anti-patriotic anti-patriotic they believe that the blip before the world before the blip was better which is also really interesting um i feel like there's been a rise in different ideologies especially anarchism um especially during the quarantine time a lot of people changed their opinions on what governments were and what they believed in and how society should be run etc uh (laughs) i might be one of those people um but i feel like it's really interesting that there's a lot of real world um things into this like talking about how ptsd mental health um systematic racism and um like people being fed up with how they're being treated it's so interesting and i i really like that but i'll probably come back to you next week when i see the next episode next topic music that i've been obsessing over um i've been listening to a lot of lord and a lot of mitski i feel like i haven't listened to lord since like the middle school (laughs) But then I made this uh, playlist on my Spotify where it was like, you know, uh, what songs do I think would be in like a coming of age movie? And I put in like, you know, like your your standard like elephant by Tame Impala or whatever. And then it I sort of 
it suggested that I put in ribs by Lord, and I was like, oh my god, you're so right. Um, Lord is such an icon. I love her music. Um, I can't believe she was so young when she made her first album. Like, that is crazy. Like, go off. For real. Um, Ribs is such a good song. Um, it's one of those songs that you deeply, like, deeply relate to. It's like that teenage angst sort of thing that you like when you're, like, my age, which is so funny. Like, I, I hate being so self-aware of my teenage, um, angst moments, but that's fine. <laughs> and then Mitski, um, I think I listen to a lot of Mitski, but I never listened to her older albums. I think Be the Cowboy was as far as I went. And then I listened to her other, um, albums, like, her older albums, and it's starting to, like, grow on me. Like, I, like, every playlist I make now has to have like a Mitski song in it like I started out from Washing Machine Heart and out now back then Washing Machine Heart felt like so like profound and so deep to me but now I'm like listening to like I Bet on Losing Dogs and like when I first listened to uh I Bet on Losing Dogs I was like what is this title I don't understand it but now I'm like I I also bet on losing dogs god I um it's so it's it's a real it's a real character arc I'm going to admit I'm I feel like music that um we see from less awarded I guess but Lord and Mitski probably are quite like they're quite respected in the music industry but there's but I feel like they don't really get the extreme um like they're bet like they're more profound songs don't really get a lot of attention which is really sad lord i feel like lord when you had like the song like team um that was that was really popular but i've never heard ribs on the on the radio i <laughs> the last song i heard from lord on the radio was louvre or the louvre which is a great song i'm not gonna lie but her other albums like the songs on her album are also really interesting and they should be listened to and they they talk more openly about like emotions and stuff which is really nice and as for miss mitski i feel like her songs are both beautiful and like like very cynical about love (laughs) maybe they're not maybe that she's not being cynical about love maybe she's being like very optimistic but that's how i see it that's because music is different to everyone like the artists like the artist makes music but then the how the listener interprets it is different so really interesting to see um i feel like if you if you really relate to Lori and Mitski I've heard that you should probably listen to like Folklore by Taylor Swift um I I'm sad to say I have not listened to Taylor Swift's Folklore um I if I'm being sad I want like a little beat to it you know I don't want a guitar the like I'm I I'm sure Taylor Swift's album is amazing she's such a wonderful human being but like I want to be sad with a beat like reputation sad with a beat but folklore sad with like mellowness and I'm not as mellow sad I'm like a 
it's my Sagittarius speaking, okay? It's my Sagittarius sun, Aries moon. Um, but that and also, um, also Rina Sawayama, that took me like five years. My brain is not, it's not really word saladed me. Um, her music as well, um, it really like, it really is sad with a beat, um, I think my music taste is quite all over the place. I think I listen to a lot of like psychedelic rock and stuff. So this is like this is a little different. So when I when I told my like when I when people went on like Spotify on their computer and they could see me like listening to Lord and Mitski, they were like kind of like confused cuz I wasn't listening to it on my private playlist. I was listening to it on a public playlist. So they were kind of concerned and they 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 were like, are you okay? I was like, yes, I am okay. I just go, I'm, I'm being like a teenager. Uh, um, next thing, and the last thing, uh, we're going to talk about Greek mythology. Now, if you ever were a, like a normal uh, kid in middle school, and by normal, I don't mean like normal, normal. I mean like go, went on Tumblr. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing, and you didn't read Percy Jackson, like, what life did you live as, like, a a middle schooler? Percy Jackson was by far the best book series I'd read after Harry Potter. I'd read Harry Potter, um, when I was, like, when I, when I was eight, and I bought, like, I read it in, like, six months, and I didn't find any other series that I really liked apart from, um this series about like these girls that moved into like camden in canada because their parents died that was really fun too but like the books weren't found so i had to like whenever i drive to the city that's like two hours from me that's when i'd be able to buy those books so i wasn't really like attached to that series as much as i was with percy jackson because percy jackson came about like when I found Percy Jackson, it was in a time where um, bookstores were starting to open up more. We had, like, borders open up, and it was so much more accessible to me. So I, I really, like, got attached to Percy Jackson, and I started, like, consuming that, like... Um, <laughs> and I think I only got through the original Percy Jackson books at that time. And then when I got a little bit older, when I was about to, like... I think it was in the last year of middle school. I think it was like grade eight or year nine. Um, where I, I started reading like Heroes, not Heroes of Olympus. The like the, the series that came after with like um, Leo Valdez and um, Piper and all those people. And Jason. It was really, really, I really... <laughs> I I didn't enjoy that as much as I did with like the original Percy Jackson books because obviously I didn't I don't know but Greek mythology always like stuck with me it's always something that I've been very interested in it started with Greek mythology and then it started like going into like Egyptian mythology um like Norse mythology uh then there was like my own mythology like from where I'm from it started growing on me and it started like spiraling out of control it got to the point where um 
for my for my art project that I had like the final art project I actually dived really deep into Egyptian mythology and how the afterlife works for Egyptian mythology which is like you they weigh your heart against the feathers so I painted feathers and all that and it sort of like devolved into like this different sort of concept it was it was it was really funny to see um I think just reading Percy Jackson and having like that obsession where I read anything on ancient Greek ancient Greece or I that I could find um also I don't know (laughs) it was really funny to a lot of people around me that I was so obsessed with ancient Greece because like we're like where I'm from it's like they were sworn enemies (laughs) the whole of the ancient times it was so funny um also, there's like this weird, probably obscure movie called The Three Hundred that really badly portrays my history, <laughs> but that's about the Romans, and that. But it's not about. Is Sparta in? Oh my God! I'm having a moment. Sparta is in Greece. My bad. I am having such a time right now. It's probably because of the exams getting canceled, and my brain is just like reeling, trying to figure out. It's going wee woo wee woo. I don't know what I'm doing, so apologies. 300 is actually set in Greece, I think, um, because Sparta is in Greece, it's not in Rome. Pretend like I didn't say that, um, but we're like sworn enemies, and obviously in 300 we had such a good portrayal of what my history looks like, um, <laughs> but apart from that, um, it was really funny to a lot of people, especially like my history-obsessed like family, like it's really important to them so it was really funny to see like how I consumed so much about Greek and Roman history by the way side note uh, Alexander the Great slander totally accepted here I'm totally for that um for the way I consumed a lot of Greek history was I learned a lot about like mythology and I it's sort of that also paved the path for my uh, obsession with like stars and space i had previously but this was just out of hand um a lot of the greek mythology that i really really like is just um their pantheon and how like different greek gods were i think artemis and apollo are so great i love them um but my my 13 year old not yeah my 13 year old self was probably in doubt about who their who my godly parent was if I were to be in a you know the Percy Jackson universe but like I now recognize I would have probably been like an Apollo or like uh, you know those like Artemis hunters hunters or something like that or like Athena probably but like no way would I have been who I thought I thought I would have probably like gone with Zeus which is not a good thing to say i'm so sorry zeus if you're hearing this but it was not zeus <laughs> um but sagittarius the pa- like the patrons of that are artemis and zeus so that made a lot of sense i guess but it's not it's probably artemis don't curse me um sorry uh <laughs> he's pretty cool i'm not saying he's not i feel like his lightning thing was probably what drew me in because i really like like electricity lightning um which is probably why thor and zeus are probably one of my favorites even though the uh, 
even though Zeus has done some questionable things. I feel, and also I really liked the sort of mythology that went into like how um, constellations were formed, um, like Orion, um, how you know Apollo was jealous or envious of how much time Artemis and Orion spent together, and then he decided to create this to create Scorpius to kill Orion. And then uh, Zeus was so impressed by Scorpius, he put them in the sky. And then um, Artemis asked for Orion to also be put in the sky. So that's how this, the constellation Scorpius and Orion came about. There's also like a different version of it, I believe, where um, Orion said he's going to take over the world, um, <laughs> which I was not familiar with. Apparently, that's a more well-known version. Um, I was like, I severely doubt that, <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong. Um, another uh, really cool thing, um, or another really cool constellation mythology that there is, is um, Cassiopeia. Um, if, you've, if you haven't read The Fifth Wave, <laughs> the main character in The Fifth Wave is called Cassiopeia, and I learned about that myth um, from that book. I was actually really intrigued to read it because my friends were really interested in the fifth wave so I was like okay and I read it and um those same friends also recommended um, the mortal instruments so take this with a grain of salt <laughs> take this with a huge grain of salt because the mortal instruments was fanfic which like I don't know that then but like it was terrible um but Cassiopeia was apparently uh, a queen in ancient Greek mythology, and she was she was showing off that she or she was boasting that she was so much more beautiful than the sea nymphs, sea nymphs that were called Nereids or Nereids, um, and her boast angered Poseidon so much that he sent a sea monster called Cetus to ravage the kingdom kingdom, and then she got sent to the stars. Um, then also the first really myth that i really got exposed to was um medusa um i learned about it in my grade three english class because we were supposed to make our own myths um but it was really intriguing to see how people interpreted um athena's wrath towards medusa as sort of like an anger towards medusa and not towards poseidon i guess I, right now, thinking back on it, I think that it was not Athena being mad at Medusa. I think it was Athena being worried or scared for Medusa. So she did something that, um, like, protected her. Because in the end, um, Medusa was, like, a priestess of Athena. I don't think Athena would have been mad at her for talking to another godly presence. Um, I think she would have been more worried um, and concerns, so she protected, um, Medusa, that's what I think, or maybe that is just, you know, I think really a lot of the, (laughs) a lot of the teachers I had, and the way they explained mythology to me was sort of, they sort of, like, their internal misogyny, like, shone through when they decided not to, like, clarify that it's not, like, a girl, it wasn't, like, a girl fight, um, which was really sad, because I feel like you should really show that Medusa can be seen that way, um, especially when you're teaching to a whole class of girls. <laughs> um, also, 
the minotaur and um what was his name oh my god um icarus icarus icarus's wings <laughs> i really had a struggle with that um icarus was also one of the ones that I really, um, really got attached to. It started out, our teacher started out with the Minotaur and how it was in Crete and there was like, um, a really smart guy. The Minotaur was an, um, was another kind of myth that I really attached onto or like Icarus and his wings as well. So it's a long story. They're all attached, right? So the Minotaur is like a monster with the body of a man and the head and tail of a bull and it was the offspring of or the child of the Cretan queen Pasiphae and like a bull which is so weird to think about um it was king Minos of Crete ordered that they kill the minotaur and um he ordered this craftsman called Daedalus to do it and Daedalus brought along his son Icarus to build a huge maze known as a labyrinth to keep the beast inside. So the Minotaur stayed in the labyrinth and he got like yearly offerings like um, young people or girls that he would just eat, which is really scary to think about. I want like just like I, the, the, the funniest part is that we don't actually know if this is a myth or if this is truth and if it was like truth like was there an actual like monster with a body of a man and the head and tail of a bull or was that just like i don't know i don't know what to say like the fact that myth the the definition of a myth is something that might be true or might be fake is like really like concerning like uh, i uh, from one point i'm gonna i want to be like well it's obviously not true but from the other hand i'm like how did people come up with this sort of thing? Like, I, I don't understand. Um, but eventually, uh, the Minotaur is actually killed off by this hero that comes from Athens. Um, you might know his name. He's like Theseus. Um, he gets, he kills him off. But the Minotaur uh, <laughs> is basically um, derived from Bull of Minos, or which leads to, like or shows that he's actually the the constellation Taurus. So, um guess a lot of a lot of our things like a lot of space is just like Greek mythology, like all our planets like Pluto, Venus, uh, Mars, Jupiter, that's Roman mythology, but like it's really interesting to see how we took that Roman Greek I mean it's originally Greek mythology. Um don't let my old music teacher hear you. Uh, once I accidentally referred to Medusa as Roman mythology because I was like speaking like a million miles per hour and yeah I almost got um I got, almost got like beheaded for like a crime <laughs> which was <laughs> it was really funny I I um I had to I like apologize like 5,000 times I didn't mean it I was just speaking really fast and my art teacher was really concerned for my brain and I was like I swear I know that was a really funny day Theseus going back to our man Theseus hero of the day killer of the Minotaur Theseus prince from Athens um he was the king of king Aegis or Aegeus um and he volunteered for the third tribute of youths so you know those people who got sent to the labyrinth so that the Minotaur could eat um I don't know how 
the Minotaur so like he had really bad digestion digestion problems. Like the Minotaur probably was really had really really bad like like digestion. Like his like I'm trying to figure out if he had like good um good meta metabolism like as someone who probably has really slow like uh like digestion and metabolism like that is concerning. You eat like a few people once a year and then it's that's it <laughs> that's it and you just like survive for a year at that so why are we concerned like as someone like i'm pretty sure he would probably be in pain a lot of the time i don't know why we're scared of the minotaur <laughs> just saying um so he told his father and he boasted to all of athens that he would slay the minotaur he was like guess what i'm gonna do I'm gonna kill the Minotaur. Watch me. Um, quiet, no back talk. And then he promised that on the journey home he would raise his white sails if he was victorious, or have the crew fly black sails if he were if he failed and was killed. So he had a passion for the dramatic. Um, like you could, <laughs> he was he was he was showing it before he like the ship even got there. Like he could like wait for the suspense. He could wait for the suspense until they reached Crete and like reached, I mean, reached back to Athens and then he could be like, I'm alive, surprise, shoddy, but no, he had to make like a sail. That was, <laughs> that was really interesting. When he got to Crete, he met the daughters of King Minos, which were Adriadne and Phaedra, and they both fell in love with him and they were unable to cope with the fact that Theseus was going to get eaten by their half-brother Minotaur, because remember, he was the offspring of King Minos' wife. Um, <laughs> I swear to God, I wonder how they came up with this. Maybe that's going to be the topic for next episode. How did people come up with myths? Um, and then, so Adriadne went to Daedalus for help. She was begging him um, to tell her how someone could escape the labyrinth that Daedalus obviously made. So he told her, why would you tell her, Daedalus? Oh my god. Um, I'm so confused by that. And then um, she handed Theseus like a ball of string to help him find the way out of his, um, the labyrinth, which sounds awfully like um, Hansel and Gretel. And my brain was just, my brain just commented how Hansel and Gretel walked, I mean, ran so Theseus could walk. Um, But that's obviously the wrong order of things because Hansel and Gretel came after Theseus. But uh, when Theseus entered the labyrinth, he tied one end to the door and continued in. And he found the minotaur in the furthest corner of the labyrinth. That was one hell of a big ball of string. Just thinking about it now. Because the labyrinth wasn't small. I don't think it was. And if it, if he was in the furthest corner of the labyrinth, that was that would have taken a lot of string. Like a lot. And then killed him with jabs of his fist. I'm telling you, I don't understand why we were so scared of the minotaur. He literally killed him by punching him. Um, that is crazy. So that me, so that proves my theory that the Minotaur has really bad digestion and metabolism. Like he's probably in pain all the time, and one jab, or a few jabs, killed him. That is 
that is sad like i i mean i could have done that if i was in theseus's place i would not have waited for the third tribute i would have gone on the first and i've done it um but it, it notes that there are other accounts that say he snuck in the sword of Aegis and he killed the minotaur with it which makes more sense i think if we're trying to forego the fact that the minotaur um has a really bad digestion um and is actually really terrifying that makes more sense okay i'm i would be more terrified if they if they just said that he kills him with a sword i think that takes more of a- unlike the the labyrinth's previous victims um theseus is able to find his way out because of that huge ball of yarn that adriani gave him or string sorry not yarn oh my god um I just had this weirdest image of just like a like a like a ancient Greek like labyrinth and then like you know those like really fluffy yarn that you can get like that are multicolored and I don't know what people use that for I've never seen it used but like I just thought um Theseus I could only just imagine Theseus with like a fluffy like spool of yarn <laughs> that he got from like Daiso <laughs> like that's all I could think about um and he finds his way out and he follows the thread back into the doors and then he leads the other athenians out of the maze and quickly sails off to athens with both adriadne and phaedra like he does he takes both you know what i'm so tired um but on the journey home he abandons adriadne on the island of naxos and then sails to athens with phaedra only so that is so sad that is so angry if i was adriani like i would have been like i should have never given you that yarn i should have never given you that ball of fluffy yarn um i feel so sorry for adriani but she reflects on her actions on naxos and um her naivety with assisting with her brother's murder so her brother is the minotaur she literally got him murdered because of because she would like get married I guess people do anything for his <laughs> she was really touch starved i'm gonna i'm gonna like pretend like that's the case um but in the end she ends up marrying dionysus which is like um who is a god um i believe he's the god of wine and theater um and dionysus appears to theseus ordering him to abandon adriani because he um intends to wed her in some other versions so some other versions theseus doesn't abandon the wife who helped like his possible wife but dionysus comes to her rescue which honestly dionysus for the win i would i would prefer dionysus over theseus but he is almost overjoyed to be uh theseus is almost overjoyed to be home with his new wife phiadra and he absent-mindedly forgets to change the color of his sails from black to white. Um, how does one do that? <laughs> how do you just, like, not... Like, sails are huge, bro. And I'm sure the ship wasn't small. Like, how did he not look at that? He came up for water. He's, like, trying to get breakfast. And he's like, oh, I'm gonna pretend to not see the huge sheets of black in front of me. <laughs> so his father, King Aegis, he jumps from a cliff because he's so overcome with grief due to the black sails um and theseus becomes king so um and that's how the aegean sea has the name aegean sea so that's really fun that was some greek mythology for you 
Um, I hope you had a great day. I hope you drink lots of water and you have loads of sleep. Um, Take care. Um, This is Lily signing out.